Uh, we're going to pick up where we left off a couple of weeks ago um, in 2 Corinthians 4. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the returning to the purity of the gospel because that's, that's really where the power is. The gospel is powerful. Do you know that? The word of God is powerful. We know that, that when God speaks, things like planets are created, you know, so it's a pretty powerful thing when God speaks. So the issue is, if we want to be full of him, if we want to be full of it, if we want all all that he has to offer, it's like taking this water bottle. And if I want it full of water, if I want as much water as I can possibly have, if I want pure water, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to not only allow it to be filled up, but before it can be filled up, I'm going to have to let it be drained of anything else. Because if I have a bunch of other stuff in here, it doesn't matter how much water you pour, it's not going to have as much space. It's not going to have it's not going to have the full container to work with. And with your heart, with your soul, with your life, the more you give to God, he promises to fill. You don't have to sit at the altar and beg God to fill you up. And and he just kind of says, well, if you beg a little harder, maybe I'll do it because he promises that he will fill you. He promises that he is the fullness of of him, that the church is the fullness of him that fills all in all. He promises to fill. You know, in in Colossians, it says that that Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him. Everything that God had dwelled in Jesus. And the next verse says, and in him you've been made and your translation might say you've been made complete. But literally, it says in him you've been made full. So put those two thoughts together because it says in Jesus, all the fullness of everything that God was, was in him. And in him, you've been made full. So it's not that God is waiting. It's it's not that God is unwilling to fill you. It's not that God is just waiting for a time when it'll just work out better to fill you up. It's not it's not that he has only so much. He can only fill so many people. He's got to ration it. It's a matter of you giving him the room. Do you remember what John said when John was sent? He he was sent with the the prophecy from the Old Testament spoken over him before his birth even. And he proclaimed it over himself. He said, I've come. I'm the voice crying in the wilderness says prepare a way for the Lord. If we look back in that in that original prophecy, it says every every valley will be raised up. Every mountain will be brought low. Every crooked path will be made straight so that the Lord can walk on. So God sent someone to prepare a way, straighten up the path so that he could walk on a clear path. And and in, in one of the Gospels, it says, make straight paths for him in your heart. And I love that. Make straight paths for him in your heart. Because if you make that straight path for him, I guarantee he'll walk on that path. I guarantee he'll fill that heart. God is not the one holding back from you. The scripture says, um, Paul said to the, to the church in Corinth, he said, he said and, and I've quoted this to you before, but he said, you're not restrained by our affections. We're not holding back anything from you. He said, you're restrained by your own affections. He says, therefore, I beg you, Corinthians, Open wide your heart to us. Open wide your heart to us. You see, that's, that's the same thing God is saying. You're not restrained by my affection. God is, God is holding no affection back from you. He's not, he's not saying, you know, I just don't like you as much today. Or I, I just, you know, I, I, I really spent a lot of time with Eric and I'm, I'm worn out. And I'm exhausted because Eric just drained me. You know, I had to sit there and listen to him talk the whole time. He let me talk some too, but you know, that tired me out. And so I've only got a little to spare. No, God is infinite. He's, he's omnipotent. He's, he's, he's all there. He's all powerful. He's got more grace than is ever going to be needed. Everything he has, he has in abundance. And everything he has is meant to be given in abundance. So the question is not whether God is willing. The question is, will you open up your heart? Will you give him the room? Because if you give him the room, he'll fill it. I guarantee. You give him room, he will fill that space. Open up the space, he'll fill it. That's, that's, that's his promise. So when we talk about the purity of the gospel, when we talk about the purity of the power of God, I'm not saying, you know, that, that um, 
I'm not talking about, you know, just going back to that old time religion. I'm talking about letting God be who he is without mixing a lot of that other stuff we feel we need to mix in to sell it. You know what I mean? Like we, like we need to sell the gospel, like we need to somehow flash it up because the more of that other stuff we put in, the less of the power of God we, we, we make room for. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not an advocate of saying, okay, well, that means, you know, like no more videos. That means no more technology because, you know what? That's just a method. That's just a tool. If Jesus walked the earth today, I'm sure he'd be on TV. I'm sure he'd do all of those things. I'm not, you know, a lot of people say return back to that, that purity of the gospel. And they just want to go back to the 1800s. That's where they want to go because that's when it was most pure. But the truth of the matter is it's not about time. It's not about technology. It's not about methods. It's about whether or not you're willing to let God just be simply who he is. So last, or not last week because we had a special speaker, but a couple weeks ago, we talked about letting the gospel be the gospel. Letting it be pure. Not feeling like you have to trick somebody into believing. Because the gospel will speak for itself. Jesus is just that good. You don't have to trick somebody into believing. You know, you may have learned some, some tricks and how to, how to share the gospel with people. I, I'm not a fan of tricks. Because here's the deal. In order for somebody to get born again, they have to have faith. That's the one thing that you really can't get around. They've got to actually believe it. And in order for them to actually believe it, you've got to let them see Jesus. I mean, because you can't trick them. I mean, if you trick them into saying a prayer, ha ha, I got gotcha. you. You said it. Can you read this to me? Okay, sure. Uh, Father, I ask you. To... <laughs> you got born again. You can't help it now. No, that doesn't work. Because <laughs> then you'd have a bunch of born again parrots around there that are just, you know, in pet stores everywhere who have, have copied a prayer that you said. No, this is about real belief. <laughs> now, I believe in, in, in praying. I believe in, 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 in confessing Jesus as Lord. But I know that in order to share the gospel, what you just have to do is let God speak through you. You just have to tell them the good news. You have to show, I mean, like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, as though God were making his appeal through you. That's one of the coolest verses in the whole Bible for me. And I say that about almost every verse, but I mean it this time. Because it... it you know, I'm not just saying it for when you're behind a pulpit. I'm saying it when you're in the mall. If you're an ambassador for Christ, it says, so we speak as though God were making his appeal through us. Which means that God wants those people more than you want them. God loves those people more than you'd ever could love them on your own. And so God knows their heart. God is, not, God is not saying, well, you just have to do the footwork on this. You just have to try harder. If you'll let him speak, if you'll let him be who he is, if you'll let him love through you, these people are going to see Jesus. And he'll make his appeal through you. What would it be like if God went to the mall and made an appeal? If he had two minutes on a stage, 20, we'll give him two hours. What would he say? How would he say it? And would it be effective? We all say yes, right? It, it would be effective if God could make his appeal. If we gave him a microphone and a stage, he could make his own appeal. He'd be pretty effective. Well, that's what he's promised to do through us. He's not saying, you poor little guys, you have to try your hardest. If I were to step in, I'd embarrass you all. But you go ahead, you try. Now he's saying, I, I will make my appeal through you. If you'll let me use you, I'll show them who I am. Now, let's read this again from 2 Corinthians 4. And we won't read the whole thing like we did last time. But we'll, we'll just read the part that we're going to jump off from now. Because a couple weeks ago, we talked about the returning to the purity of the gospel. And now we're going to talk about letting your heart be pure before God. I'm not talking about pure as, as in without sin. Because I, I believe that you all have already come to that spot. And Hebrews says that when, he, when the Lamb of God became our sacrifice, he removed that sin and was able to make your conscience perfect and clean. So we're able to serve God with a clean conscience. I'm not really talking about sin tonight. I'm talking about motivation. I'm talking about different uh, desires. I'm talking about different uh, things that crowd out God. And so in 2 Corinthians 4, and uh, we're going to start in verse 5. 
For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. That's important right there. We don't preach ourselves. Who do we preach? Christ Jesus as Lord. That's huge, right? You get somebody in an argument and they start telling you all the reasons they don't want to believe and all the things that Christians have done and the crusades and all of this. And you know what? You just bring it back to Jesus. You bring it back to Jesus. Jesus speaks for himself. Say, listen, those guys, we're not talking about them because I didn't ask you. I didn't ask you to, to confess Richard the Lionheart as Lord. I asked you to confess Jesus as Lord. I'm telling you about Jesus. Now, there are people who have done all sorts of crazy, wacky, stupid things in the name of God. You don't have to believe in them. They can't save you. I can't tell you if they're going to heaven or hell. Not my business. What I can tell you is Jesus. What I can show you is Jesus. You bring it back to Jesus. We've had this a lot. Fred and Alvina can tell you there's always the lie. Well, Christianity is white man's religion. We even, we even had a couple people... Uh, a couple people on our team think, is that a problem here at Thunderchild? You know, and, and, and I'm sure people brought that up, right? Oh, you're bringing this white man's. But you know what was funny? Because I got that for a moment. I thought, does it look like we're bringing, oh, no. I started to get word. Does it look like we're bringing white man's religion? Until I realized they wanted to clear the stage. They wanted, you know, when I say they, it was a minority, right? There's one lady wants us off the, off the stage. So the Much Music video dance crew can come on. So Christianity is white man's religion. What in the world is much, video, much Music video dance crew? That's not native religion. I'm pretty sure it's not at all. I didn't hear any powwow music on those screens. So it's a lie, but we have those lies in every culture, don't we? You talk to people in our culture, what do they say? Well, church is full of hypocrites. I don't want to go. It's full of hypocrites. Well, the world is full of hypocrites, really. Do you know who wasn't a hypocrite? Jesus. Do you know, do you know the people he's able to change are the ones who allow him to be Lord of their life? He'll keep you. He'll change your hypocritical heart into a pure heart. He'll take that lying heart and make it a true heart. So you know what? Those excuses are as old as the book, but if you just bring it back to Jesus and say, listen, you know who you can't say that about? Jesus. Jesus is who he is. Bring it back to him. So when we preach Christ Jesus as Lord, he stands on his own. And he says, and ourselves, when we talk about us, here's all we are. This is how we describe ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now, in many parts of the, of, of the epistles, um, it said we're his bondservants. But in this case, Jesus has loaned us out to you. We're bondservants for him, but for his sake, we're your bondservants. That's a big statement because he's just totally set aside his own desires, his own will, his own plan, his own fame, and said, here's what I am. I'm going to be a bondservant for you for Jesus' sake. You know, every writer of the epistles, now the epistles are the letters, the teaching letters in the, in the New Testament. Every writer of the epistles so I'm not talking about the books of history like the Gospels and the book of Acts. But all the writers of the epistles, so you, we're talking about Paul, we're talking about Peter, we're talking about Jude, James, John. All of these guys identified themselves at one point in their letters as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't, that's not the same as saying a servant that gets, you know, that shows up for work if he feels like it or if he doesn't. That would be the word diakonos. This is the word doulos, which means slave but we know that jesus said I, I i don't call you slaves anymore i call you friends we know that god does not treat us like slaves he treats us as sons and daughters but at the same time they're saying yeah we know we are sons and daughters we have full inheritance we're not subject to slavery anymore it was for freedom that christ set us free and yet we submit our life to him as a slave does to a master so when you understand what God has done for you, when you understand you're free, you're able to say, I'm a son, and you're able to say, I'm, I'm a bondservant at the same time without those two things clashing. And so you don't have to say, well, oh, no, I, I thought I was set free from being a slave. Now I'm a slave again. No, thank God. You are a son. You're a daughter of the king. But that doesn't mean that you have to go through life doing your own thing. If you want God's best, you'll say, I'm his bondservant. I make myself nothing. I, I make my name count for nothing so I can have his name. 
Like Philippians 2 says, have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. Who though he considered equality with God, not a thing to be forcibly grasped or robbery. He humbled himself. Taking on the form of a bondservant or a slave. Laying aside all of his dignity, all of his big name, all of his robes of majesty. He took on a form of a bondservant. Becoming obedient. Yes, even obedient to the point of death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name. And so when you put your name down and when you say, I, I, look, I'm not here for my name. And you let you let that happen. You humble yourself and say, listen, my name, I'm putting that aside. God exalts you. He lifts you up and gives you his name. And you'd much rather have his name. You take off your own coat, you take his. Boy, that's way better. So he says, we preach Christ, not ourselves. And if we're going to talk about ourselves, we're bondservants for you, for Jesus' sake. He says this. For God who said, you know what? Actually, let's skip back up. I, I started and I started a little late. Let's start in verse two. Can we do that? You'll forgive me for starting past where we should have gone. Let's start in verse two because I want to I think this is important. He said, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness. Or adulterating the word of God. Now, that's really important. He means as a preacher, I am not walking in crafting. What is craftiness? That's trying to be tricky. That's trying to um, twist it in such a way that it fits everything. It's trying to, it's trying to you know, kind of pervert it. Craftiness means I'm trying to be tricky with the gospel. He says we're not trying to be tricky with the gospel. Not in craftiness or adulterating. That means, that means you know, corrupting it by adding something else. That means mixing it with something. We're not mixing the gospel with anything else. So we're not walking in craftiness. You don't have to be tricky. You don't have to adulterate it, which means you don't have to mix your own stuff in to make it fit. He says, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation. What does that mean? The uncovering, the revealing, the manifestation of truth. Praise God. It says, I mean, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Thank God. Do you know your job is to let God work through you to manifest or uncover what he's already revealed, what he's already made known, what he's already done? Your job is to make it manifest. Manifest the truth. You're not trying to dress it up and put pretty clothes on it. You just let the world see it. By the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, what you see is what you get. Judge judge us by your own standards. We are who we are. By the grace of God, we are who we are. Not trying to be anything. Not trying to change who I am. Not trying to manipulate you. I'm going to let you judge what you see. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So what, what, I mean... How are they blinded? They're unbelieving, so their eyes are blinded, right? And it's a cycle because then your eyes are blinded. It's hard for you to believe. That they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So if their eyes are opened, what do they see? The light of the gospel. Now, I like that because the gospel is light. There's no shadow in it. There's no shifting. There's no turning. It is pure light. Do you know light can't get any more pure It's either light or it's light mixed with something else. Light is light. And so here we're seeing that this is the pure light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Wow. The pure light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord. And ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Huge. And we talked more about that, so I won't spend a lot of time on that because we talked about it a couple weeks ago. He says, for God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So last or a couple weeks ago, we talked about this gospel, how it's meant to be pure, how it's when it's pure, it's powerful. When it is when you just let it be what it is, it is full of power. Now I want to talk a little bit about our hearts, because here he says that the light has shone in our hearts that God shone in our hearts with the same power that he caused light to enter the universe. He caused light to enter our hearts. And when he did, it gave the light of the knowledge of the glory of God reflected in the face of Christ. Which means you can understand things you never could understand before because God has shone light into your heart. There's stuff that you're going to get that you have no education level to get. But God reveals it to you. Isn't that good news? That this isn't a gospel just for university theologians. This isn't a gospel just for doctors. This is a gospel for those that will believe. I'm not against training. I'm not against schooling. But I don't want you to disqualify yourself because you say, well, I didn't get the training they got or I don't have the IQ they have. If you can believe, God can reveal that. He can shine the light into your heart and you'll get things what did he say? He said, I've chose the foolish of this world to debase, to, to confound the wise. I've chosen, I've chosen the people who didn't have much going for them. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, you know, when I first came to you guys, not many of you were wise, not many of you were mighty, not many of you were noble according to the flesh. Not many of you had a lot going for you, but God, but God has used you. God has chosen you. He chose the weak and the base things of this world. So isn't that cool to know? That nobody here is disqualified. You're all eligible to be used by God. You're all eligible to see something. Because really, it's not about what you know. It's about what you see. It's about what God has shown to us. And listen, we've got a great deal of revelation right here. That God will open up your eyes to see him in this. He'll open your eyes to see him in your time with God. He'll open up your eyes to see him in, in, in things that other people say to you. He'll open your eyes to see you in all sorts, see him in all sorts of things if you'll let your heart be open. Now let's look in Luke 8. Now Luke 8 is one of the... Um, Tellings of the parable of the sower. We all know that very well, don't we? It's a good story. Not just a story, but it's, it's, it applies to our life very much. Because in the parable of the sower, we're told what kind of hearts are out there. We're told about four types of hearts. Now, that may be oversimplifying it, but Jesus speaks about four types of hearts. And the fourth type of heart he talks about three different levels. I mean, he says that good heart, you know, will bear 30, some 60, some 100. So even in a good heart, there's people that probably are more open, are probably going to bear more fruit based on how they receive the word. We know that the seed is the word of God. That's what Jesus said. He sows the word into your heart, right? It's the incorruptible seed. It's the power of God. What, what God does with that is not just because he's just kind of picking and choosing and some people he just doesn't like. A lot of it has to do with how you receive it. A lot of it has to do with, with the, the condition of the heart. And don't, don't get worried because no matter what the condition of your heart is right now, if you're willing, God can make that heart, take it from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He can, he can mold it and make it. So I don't want anybody to get concerned and think, well, I, I'm just already a bad heart. I'm just a bad seed, you know, I... I, I've already missed it. No, nobody's, nobody's at that point. But in Luke 8, for the sake of time, we'll just, I'll just summarize it for you. As you know, he talks about the seed falling on the road. When it falls on the road, you know, it's just like throwing it on the highway here. You throw seed on the highway, it doesn't sink in, not even a little, right? It just bounces off. And he says, in this case, the birds come and they eat it. He says, some seed is thrown on rocky ground. And it, it goes in the soil, but there's not much soil. So when it tries to put roots down, it just hit rocks. It hits rocks. And, and so anytime hard, you know, whether it's um, a bit of a, a hot, you know, hot spell, whether it's just a lot of sun or maybe a storm, it, it won't last because it's got no root system. It'll just dry up, wither away. 
Then he talks about uh, thorny ground, that, that uh, the seed goes in and uh, it actually sprouts. The roots go down, it starts to come up, but um, thorns come up with it. And it says the thorns come, they choke it out, and they, it becomes unfruitful. One of, the transla- one of the gospels says those words, it becomes unfruitful, which tells me that maybe it was fruitful at one point and uh, later became unfruitful. Then he says there's the good soil, and, you know, when it, when it goes in, I mean, it, it bears a, a ton of fruit. It's really good. It's soft. There's room for roots. There's nothing crowding it out. There's a great plant. There's great fruit. So then Jesus summarizes this, and he says that the, the one sown on the rocky ground, or not the rocky ground, sorry, on the highway, on the road, the hard ground, those are hard-hearted people. And those are people that probably come into church, and, and, um, or they open their Bible, or they listen to you talk, and um, as you're speaking to them, they're not really getting it. They're not, it's not that they, they're not smart enough to get it. They just don't want to get it. They just don't believe it. They just, you know, it's just, you know, they just let it bounce off of them. A lot of these people, I know, I hate to say it, but there are people like that that come to church regularly. I'm not saying this church, but <laughs> just regularly. The, the people show up because they feel they have to, but you can preach at them and it's, it's hard. Because it bounces right back at you and you know they don't receive a word you say. Hearts become hard for different reasons. Sometimes they become hard just because you've, you've heard the word, but you've never really believed it. You've, you've received it, but you've never done anything with it. And so the more and more you hear, the more you train yourself never to really let it sink in and change your life. You're just hearing something again. Some hearts become hard because you've let yourself be hurt. You've been hurt in an area, you've been offended. And there's that area of your heart where God can't really speak into because you've put up a bunch of walls and calluses to keep yourself from getting hurt again. That's not good. There are, I don't think you should have your heart wide open to everybody in the world, but you should have your heart wide open to God. And I'm sure there's other people you should have your heart open to as well. You should leave your heart so open for God to use and let him open it towards other people that you never thought you could. Then there's the rocky ground people. And those are people that get real excited and they may amen well and they may jump up and down during the fast songs and lift their hands during the slow songs. But uh, it doesn't really affect their life. They like a good sermon. Well, that's about as far as it goes. If you're funny, it's bonus points. Right? They receive it with joy. These are some people that hear a good sermon and they go, yeah, man, that's one of the best I've heard. And I've heard them all. But they never let it sink real deep down. So the rocky ground people say, you know, that was a great sermon. That, that really, that really you know, affected me. That, that, that sunk down. But it doesn't ever really sink down into their heart. And it says when persecution or a storm comes, when something hard comes in their life, they're gone. You've met people like this. They love a good sermon. They love a good church service. But when things get hard, they're not around. Then there's the thorny heart people. And I think our society has bred a lot of these folks. This is just a crowded heart. These are people that probably received the word very well when they first heard it. They probably have done a lot for Jesus. They probably have borne some fruit. But other stuff came up whether it's their job or the kids' sports or something else, stuff comes up and they let that crowd out the word. He says that's, Jesus said, it's those who through the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things have let those things choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful in their life because they don't have time. You know what this is like because we've probably all been on the edge of this before where you realize, I, I love the word, I love what Jesus said, but I'm busy. <laughs> I got a lot going on. You let, you let other things begin to, to, to steal or share your affection. Do you remember when you first got born again? And just that pure love and passion for God. And you just like, you just, you want to spend, you're, you're upset with other people because they won't come to church on a Monday morning. <laughs> you know? You think the pastor's backslidden because he won't preach to you all the time. (laughs) If you love Jesus as much as me, you'd be here too. What's the problem? 
But then other things begin to share some affection in your life. You, you really start to care about some of these other things. It's not bad to care about other things, but it's, it's bad to put it on the same level as your desire for the Lord. Really, he's got to have everything. He's got to have access to everything. He's got to be at any point to say to you right now, drop what you're doing and do what I'm telling you to do. And you've got to be able to say yes. Anything in your life that you can't give away, it's time to give it away as fast as you can. Give it away. Go home right now. No, wait till the end of the service and give it away. <laughs> because that thing has got its claws or talons in your heart somewhere to the point where it's got more value than God's word to you. So we all can recognize this, but I pray that's not where we're at tonight. If it is, it's easily fixed, right? So here's what he says about the last heart, the good heart. In Luke 8, in verse 15, and the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Do you hear that? In an honest and good heart. What does that sound like to you? What does an honest heart sound like? Sounds pure, doesn't it? Sounds like you've got no other in, intention. You've got no hidden, hidden um, you know, desires. You, you just simply want the word. You just want the word to come in. You're not, here, you're not hearing the word because you feel that you should be. Because if you don't show up, people are going to talk about you. You're not, um, you're not secretly saying, well, I just want answers so I can win that argument. No, no, no. You're just hearing it out of an honest, uh, just a pure heart. And you say, I, I want what you want for me. I want your life. I want your love. I want everything you've got. That's what I want. And that honest and good heart that is able to just set it aside and say, speak to me, Lord, your servant is listening. That honest and good heart, if you'll hold fast to the word of God, which means that you never let go, no matter what, because there will always be things screaming at you to let go. There will always be things screaming at you to put it aside or it doesn't work this time or, or you know, this, you know, you got to consider this other stuff. No, if you'll hold it fast, you'll bear fruit with Perseverance, which means you keep going. When everyone else stops, you keep going. That's the heart that's going to bear fruit. That's a pure heart. That's trust. That's faith. Now, faith and fear don't mix. Faith and love drive out fear. Perfect love drives, casts out all fear, right? So when we understand that God loves us, that His plan for us is better than our plan for us, and we're able to trust him with it, that's a pure heart. If you're able to just say, everything I have, it's yours. Whatever you want for me, it's yours. Whatever your plan is for me, it's yours. You just use me. Just like Paul said, we preach ourselves as his bondservants. That's all. Boy, those people are dangerous because they can't be bought. They can't be bribed. They can't be scared. They can't, they can't be intimidated. This is the guy that gets stoned to death. Disciples gather around him, pray for him. He gets up and walks back into the city where he was stoned. You don't do these things if you have your own intentions. Unless you're just totally too many rocks to the head. I think if he was healed, he was healed, right? So he had his senses. He goes back in because this is where God told me to go. Man, those kind of people are dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. And you can be one of these people. You just got to say, Lord, you have my heart. Everything I, everything I had for my, every plan I had, I'm just going to lay that aside. Your plan for me is better than my plan for me. See, when you're assured that he loves you, you're not worried. Because if you thought that God had his own, you know, was just a real lover of self, but didn't really love you that much, he, you're just a pawn. He's just using you to make himself feel better you would have reason to say, I don't know if I should trust him. But you've got to know he loves you more than you love yourself. That's trust. You can simply say, you know what? Whatever you've got for me, I know it's good. But there's got to be a purity to it. Do you remember, you know, some of you were helping out in the conference that we had back in April. 
And Pastor Tracy Harris was speaking to us about a singleness of vision, Matthew 6. Matthew 6 is a great chapter on totally getting free from worry. In fact, let's go there. Just We won't spend too much time, but we'll, we'll get there. And I believe God will lead us to the place that we're supposed to cut off at. In Matthew 6, Jesus is totally revolutionizing how they think. And he says in verse 1, Now remember, all of this stuff fits together. It seems like disjointed thoughts, but it all fits. He's not, Jesus is not like ADD, and he's just, you know, stuff's just popping into his head, and he's like, oh yeah, and this. Oh, oh wait, and this. Oh, you know what else I know? Let me, you know, he's not doing that. It all flows, it all fits. I mean, we've all had dinner with a four-year-old, and uh, we know that just they're, they're looking around like, what can I talk about? We had a, uh, we were eating with uh, one of, you know, Spiro and Tina who are not here tonight. We were eating with one of their grandkids back when he was just a little boy. And this kid talked all the time. It was unnatural how much he talked. He was a very smart kid, extremely smart. But the whole time he wanted to be talking and talking fast. So he's looking around. He's like talking, sees a tree. He talks about trees. He sees like, you know, and, and he kept like, he loved Batman and he loved some horse named Nitter Pitter. I don't know who that horse was, but he was always, you know, and, and Batman Nitterpitter, and, and they didn't go together, but he had to get them both out there. So he's always talking about, you know, and the trees, and, the, and, and, and Batman Nitterpitter, and the, and the house, and we're just trying to follow this line of thinking. But he's just talking about everything. Well, this is not what Jesus is doing. He's not just trying to give you all the knowledge he can think of in five minutes. It flows, right? So when we read Matthew 6, 1, you can... Believe it, it has some connection to Matthew 6.15. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Now, Jesus told you to practice your righteousness, didn't he? In fact, he's the guy that said only a chapter before this that all men might see your good works. Jesus, you're confusing me. Are people supposed to see my works or are they not supposed to see my works? He says, you do it for me. And people will see your works and they'll glorify me. But don't do it so they see your works. He says, before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with the Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you. (laughs) Wow. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give alms or offerings, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Now this, we know, Jesus Jesus preached. He prayed in synagogues. We know Paul did. We know all of these apostles publicly prayed. They wrote out their prayers in letters. I'm praying this for you. So there's nothing wrong with praying in front of people. But if you're praying to pray in front of people, there's a problem. There's nothing wrong with giving in front of people because Jesus himself sat by the offering plate and watched what people gave and commented on it. But if you're giving so people see you, that's a problem. See, where's the the issue? It's not always just in your actions. It's in the motivation. Where's your heart? Where's your motivation? Is it clean? Is it pure? Is it before God? Or do you have multiple intentions here? Because if you want to walk in the fullness of the power of God, you've got to let your heart be pure. That doesn't mean you never did anything wrong. That just means your heart is, I want what you want. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll go where you tell me to go. That's my goal in life. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, that's the thing that makes me happy. That's the thing that satisfies me. That's the thing that gives me life and energy. Here's what he says. But when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for the many words. 
Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you pray. Ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now in verse 16, he's still talking on the same topic. He says, and whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance in order to be seen fasting by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So you see, God's not saying don't fast. He's saying He's not saying don't let anybody see you fast. He's saying don't do it to be seen. Don't purposely go out of your way to make yourself seem sad. Like, look what I'm doing for Jesus. Look how I'm suffering. He's saying, here, why are you doing it? Are you doing it for me or are you doing it for them? But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you not, may, may not be seen fasting by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Do not lay up yourself, for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, the heart is the issue here. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Now, as Pastor Tracy said back in April, another way to say this, another way to translate this is, if your eye is single. It's not split, it's not double, it's not, it's not corrupted, it's single. I have one purpose here. I have one goal here. I'm not trying to do multiple things. I'm not trying to trick anybody. I'm not trying to make myself look a certain way. My heart is pure before you. I have one goal. My eye is single. One vision, one goal. I'm not trying to, to go through doing all of these things for, for, for my purpose and hoping, you know, I'll do something for Jesus, but this will help me out too. No, you're just saying, listen, I am free from worry about what people think. I'm free from worry about taking care of myself. My eye is undivided. See, that's the issue. Is your heart divided? Is when he's talking about your eye, he's talking about your intentions, your thoughts. He says, if the, if the eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. So if you have that singleness of mind, if you're able to say, I am doing this for one purpose and one purpose only, God's light comes in and fills everything. And he says in verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will, he will hate the other and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's important that he says this, mammon. Because that doesn't just mean money, although money is included. This is the world system. This is greed. This is, this is what they live for. And we're on a completely different track in life. We don't live for what the world lives for. We live for a new cause. So it says you can't serve God and mammon at the same time. You got to have one. Serve, I mean, one heart. Now, after this, what does he start talking about? He starts talking about don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. He says, for God knows what you need, and it's his pleasure to give you these things. Because the problem is when you start worrying about it, then you start doing something about it. When you start worrying about it, you stop serving the one master and you start serving the other. If I can trust that God is going to take care of me, if I can trust that he's going to meet my every need, if I can trust that I'm just as way more valuable than a sparrow or a lily and he takes care of them, then I don't live for the same reasons that the world lives for because the world is desperately afraid that they're not going to have enough. The world is desperately afraid of what people think of them. All of these things threaten to take your heart away from what God's called you to do. But if you'll let let yourself say, I'm his, I'm his. 
He's taking care of me. I'm his. He's my God. I'm his people. And I don't have to worry about this anymore. Then you can go through life saying, it doesn't matter what you say. You know, in Galatians, Paul said, if we had worried about what people were thinking, if we had tried to please people, we would not be bondservants of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about adulterating the word of God, a craftiness and all of that. You know how you stay away from that? You just say, all I want to please is God. I don't really care about pleasing other people. I just want to please God. When you do that, you're awesome. Stuff happens. And when you can say, I'm not worried about losing my money. If he tells me to give it all, I'm going to give it all. If he tells me to take a week off work and do a missions trip, I'm going to do that. Then he'll meet your needs. He'll take care of you. I want your heart to be free. Free from worry. Because when it's free from worry, and you're really in faith, then your heart is pure. It's ready to be used. You just say it's his. My whole life is his. You see, we know, and you heard some of it offered, we know that God is going to use you to bless people. He's going to use you to sponsor mission trips, right? So if you say, you know what, hey, God can put something in my hand and I'll give it to him. Praise the Lord, that's awesome. But you know what, if you start to say, well, I, I, I want to be rich so I can give into the kingdom. That sounds good, but you know the problem with that? is that you've made your desire, you've gone from your desire being to to advance the kingdom to my desire is to be rich so that I can help the kingdom. Flip that around. Say, my desire is to do what God's called me to do. And you know what? I believe, you know what? I believe as I give, he'll give unto me. I believe that he'll bless me so I can be a blessing. Thank God. But I've seen this happen, that when people say, well, I'm going to get rich so I can bless the kingdom, what they do is they change their desire from desiring to do the will of God to desire to get rich, and they justified it by saying, so you can help the kingdom. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I can get a swimming pool. I can get a private jet. There's nothing wrong with a swimming pool. There's nothing wrong with a jet. But the scripture says that the ones who desire to be rich fall into many snares and temptations. So there's a problem with that. Because when you serve God, you're not worried about that stuff. But if your desire is to be rich, what happens when the first door opens for you to get rich? You take it. Don't you know that the devil can open a door just like God can? Maybe not just like God can. But he can open doors too. Do you ever notice we pray for promotions? I believe that God will give you promotions in your job, just like he gave Joseph, just like he gave Daniel. But guess what? Not every promotion is a good promotion. That promotion takes you away from your family, takes you away from the things of God. That's not a good deal. But if your desire is to get rich, you'll take it. But if your desire is to serve the living God, you'll just listen to him no matter what he says. Listen, Abraham was one of the richest guys that walked the planet. But his first opportunity to get rich was when the king said, listen, I'll give you all of this booty because you, you helped us out. And booty meant something different. He said, I'll give you all this treasure. I'll give you all the spoils. Let's use that word. Let's give you all the spoils of war. And Abraham, who knows that God wants to bless him, he knows that God is going to meet his needs. He could have said, well, this is how God's meet my needs. Thank you. But he didn't. He said, I don't want your money. I don't even want a shoelace from you because I know what's going to happen. You're going to say, I made Abram rich. He says, God's going to make me rich. You see, he cared more about God's name than him getting rich. Do you know he left houses and lived in tents? He says he could have lived in cities, but it would have been the cities of the wicked. It wouldn't have been in the promised land. He wanted to live in the tents where God put him. Moses. God blessed Moses. What a blessed man Moses was. He left Egypt loaded with gold. But what did it say? He preferred to be with the people of God than than be in the pleasures of sin with the Egyptians. He could have stayed in a prince's house. Daniel, through multiple administrations, was the chief chief, uh, advisor, the chief magi. This guy, I mean, who do you know that could go through different nations taking over and still be at the top? And yet, remember this, Belshazzar comes and says, listen, buddy, they say you can interpret this stuff. 
some freaky stuff's going on. Dude's writing on our wall with a hand. If you'll interpret it, I will give you nice clothes. I'll give you all the jewelry you want. I will give you lots of money. What did Daniel say? Keep your gifts. Give them to somebody else. I'll interpret the dream, but I'm not doing it for money. And God blessed Daniel. God exalted Daniel. You see, when your desire is to be rich above your desire to please God, you'll take the first thing that comes along. Sometimes you'll get an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. But if you'll wait on the Lord and just do what he tells you, he'll make sure you're taken care of. Free from worry. Why do people do these things? They're worried about losing what they have. Don't be worried about that. You're his. If you'll throw yourselves in the hands of God, he'll take care of you. If you're worried about what people think, your heart becomes divided. If you're worried about losing your money, your heart becomes divided. Don't be worried. Have faith. Because there's where the power of God is in your life. If your heart can be pure, just like a child, and you can be like these apostles who said, we are bondservants of the Most High God. You're, mo- you're the most dangerous person to set foot on this earth. Because you just said, I can't be bought. I can't be scared away. I can't be moved. I'm holding fast and bearing fruit. And this is, this is where we're at. We've got to make choices right now. We know that God is going to take care of you. But you've got to know that and hold fast to that. Because if you receive the word with an honest and pure heart, you won't mix it in with all that other stuff. If you'll just say, Lord, here's my heart. I'm all in. I'm all in. If this is anything, this is everything. You've got it all. When you say that, you hold to that. Don't become worried. I want you to be so free from worry. Because worry is what starts this thing. It's fear that gets you to go back to the old ways and trust in, as, as it says in 1 Timothy 6, trust in the uncertainty of riches instead of trusting in a God who richly supplies all things for you to enjoy. He's certain. The other stuff's mine. you got to get free. Because we go through life so worried about what people are thinking. So worried about how we're going to make the next paycheck, or next mortgage check. So worried about whether or not we're accepted that we let our heart become divided. We let our motives change. And the cross loses some of the effect in our life. Paul said, when I came to you, I made sure I didn't use fancy words so that the cross of Christ may not be made void. It literally says, may not be made empty. The more you mix in of your own stuff, the more empty the real power is. That's not us tonight, is it? That's not us tonight, and it's not going to be us. I remember um, there's a lady who was the leader of the voices of opposition against the military junta in Burma, Aung San Suu Kyi. She said this, and it was an interesting thought. She said, it's not power that corrupts, but fear. It's the fear of losing power. All these despots and tyrants, it's not the power necessarily that's corrupting them. It's the fear of losing it. They start to do really stupid things. If you'll just get rid of that fear and start trusting God, you just really trust Him, your heart's going to be pure. Just like a child that trusts his parent. Just like, a, just like a, an innocent newborn baby that has no worry for other things. You just say, listen, I'm yours. And I'm not worried about money. I'm not worried about people. I'm not worried about where I'm going to live, where I'm going to stay. I just want to hear your voice. When that happens, there's power. I'm not saying you never pray. Lord, I know you're going to meet my needs. You've got to stand on that. You've got to hold fast to the promises. Of course. But I'm saying never be worried again. Because when we get worried, we mix in stuff with the real power. But when you have faith, your heart is pure. Your eye is clear. Your body's full of light. You're full of light. You let the light of the gospel in. So just as a couple weeks ago when we talked about when we preach the gospel, don't mix it up. Don't be afraid that they won't hear it. When you're afraid that they won't hear it, you mix all this other junk in. In the same way, friends, in your life, when you're afraid, when you let fear creep in, that heart begins to have 
different motivations. But when you truly trust the Lord God, you truly trust Jesus, your heart's pure again. It's clean. You're able to hear the word of God without the fear of being hurt, without the fear of jumping out and stepping on the water, without the fear of whether people are going to like you or not. Just say, I'm yours. I'm asking you to go all in. Can we go all in? Put all your cards on the table, really. Because the world is striving for your affection. The world wants a piece of your heart. If you give it away, that's an area of your heart you're not letting God work in. I'm asking you to really trust Him. Give Him everything. I know this is an interesting thing to say to people that have been serving the Lord for some time. Some of you are new. Some of you have been doing it for years and years. But we all need to be reminded. Our God is able to guard what we've entrusted to Him. What did Paul say? I know whom I have believed. I know Him. I know He is able to guard what I've entrusted to Him. Trust Him with everything. He'll guard it. Amen. Would you stand up? Thank God. The Lord is good. He is always good. He's forever faithful. He's forever good. His mercy endures forever. There is no end to it. If we would trust, Jesus said in John 11, didn't I tell you, if you would believe me, you would see the glory of God. Didn't I tell you, if you would believe, you'd see the glory of God. Thank God. Just give them, let's just open up our hearts right now. I just want to let you, give you an opportunity. Just open it up. Just open it wide. Throw it in. Now, how does this apply to you? God will show you that. It may apply to, you know, if you've had fear that, that you couldn't provide for your family, so you took that extra job, but you knew God didn't want you to take that extra job because it actually took you away from Him. Trust Him with that. Friends, if, if, if you've been so afraid of what people think, that you've changed who you are, who God made you to be, trust Him with your heart again. And don't let yourself get thrown all over the place. Hold fast to the Word and bear fruit with perseverance. Guys, if you're so afraid, if you're so afraid that somebody's going to hurt you again, that you haven't let the love of God truly work in your heart because you've, you've put up a bunch of walls that isolate you from other people. Trust God. Trust Jesus that He'll guard that heart. If He'll use the heart, He'll guard it. If He'll use you to touch people around you and that means you have to open up your wa- heart wide and be a little bit vulnerable, that's okay because He'll guard it. What you trust Him with, He's able to guard. Thank you, Jesus. We trust you. We trust you. We give you full control and access to every area. And we say right now, I trust you. I believe. I, I have faith and I don't have fear anymore. I want you to be free from worry. Don't worry about your kids anymore. Don't worry about, it doesn't mean you don't care about your kids. It means you don't worry about your kids. For Jesus said, who by worrying could add, add a cubit to your lifespan? You can't enhance their lifespan by worrying about them. The Bible says in Philippians, worry about nothing, pray about everything. If we can do that, we'll be good. You give it to the Lord, casting your cares on Him. What does it say? For He cares for you. You don't cast your cares on Him because He doesn't care. You cast your cares because He does care. He'll take care of your care. So Father, right now, we surrender it. We fully open up ourselves and our hearts and give you free access to work. Lord, we want to be used by you in a powerful way. We know we can be. God, I know that your word is the seed that contains the tree, that contains the fruit, that contains more seeds inside of it. Everything we're ever going to be everything we're ever going to produce, everything we're ever going to accomplish is held in that seed. So let that seed pierce deep into our hearts. Let it grow and put down roots. 
Let it grow up into a mighty tree that will bear fruit in times of drought, in times of, uh, of bounty, in times uh, of, of, of every sort of storm, that it will still be bearing fruit because it's of you. Our hope is in the name of the Lord. Our trust is him, in Him. Some men trust in chariots. Some in horses. Some men trust in technology. Some trust in the stock market. Some trust in their job. Some trust in other people. But we, we the people of God, we the saints who have been called by your name, we will remember the name of the Lord our God. For the name of the Lord is a strong tower. It is a strong tower. The righteous will run into it. And they are saved. (laughs) Oh, friends, there's going to be times where everything in you screams to run to the same security that the world runs to. I want you to choose right now. I will not run to the places that the world runs to for help. I will not run those places. I will run to the name of the Lord. When the doctors tell me I'm going to die, I won't run. I mean, I've got nothing against medicine. I've got nothing against surgery. Yeah, I mean, I thank God for godly doctors. Thank God for what they do. But that doesn't mean that you put all your trust in them. Run to the name of the Lord. When it doesn't look like you're going to be able to make the end of the month financially, don't run to the same place as the world runs to. Run to the name of the Lord. You're His he's yours those that trust in the name of the Lord they're saved Romans 10 says whoever believes in me will not be disappointed I think somebody needs to hear that tonight Jesus well God said this and then we see it in Jesus himself but it says in Romans 10 the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul says Whoever believes in me will not be disappointed. People will disappoint you. Things will disappoint you. God will not disappoint those who have truly believed. Our hearts are yours, Lord. Our minds are yours. Our lives are yours. We present ourselves as sons and daughters of the living God, as bondservants of Jesus Christ. We are no one's but yours. Our hearts is no one's but yours. Our affections are yours. Our desires are yours. We set our desire toward you and ask you, Lord, to use us as you want to use us. Send us where you want to send us. We say yes, Lord. We will say yes to everything. Thank you, Jesus. You've been so good to us. You've been so good to us. You've been so good. So good, so faithful, so wonderful, so true. We know you. We have come to know and believe the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We know you're able to guard what we put in your hands. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Praise God. There's nothing but goodness in Him. (laughs) We'll let our hearts be fully His. He's going to transform those hearts. I'm talking about the power of God, the message of the gospel, the message of the cross is the power of God. There's power in it. If there weren't power in it, He wouldn't be concerned that you'd make it void of power. It's full of power. The cross is full of power. If we'll trust Him, you'll walk in that power the same way Jesus did, right? We're talking about Jesus who went fishing and paid His taxes. We're talking about Jesus who took a little basket and fed thousands. He's not going to do it like everybody else does it. Just get used to that. You're not going to go through life the same way everyone else goes through life. You just have to say that right now. My life is not going to be normal. There's nothing normal about it. My, my family's not going to be normal. My job's not going to be normal. It's supernatural, which means more than natural, which means not normal. 
<laughs> Are you okay with that? You okay with that? You okay with God that gives you water that came from a rock? We're good with that? We're good with him sending bread from the sky? Sky bread? You're okay with that? We're okay with him sending you quail that just drops from the sky? That's weird. It's kind of Hitchcockian. We're okay with him doing things differently, right? We're okay with Jesus who says, there's no fish on the left side, but check the right side. There's a bunch of fish, right? It's going to be weird, guys. Your life is going to be weird if you, if you let God take a hold of it. Not weird, because weird means twisted. It's going to be extraordinary. It's going to be good. Praise God.